Free Your Inner Guru is a listener-supported show. Supporting the podcast is also designed to support you by keeping the episodes free of ads, but also with rewards for your donation like the Free Your Inner Guru guidebook, a private listener forum, and live monthly Q&A sessions. To become a supporting member, you can visit patreon.com forward slash free your inner guru. Welcome to Free Your Inner Guru. I'm your host, Laura Tucker. The purpose of this podcast is to share big conversations about life, business, and how we can show up as conscious leaders to make a difference in the world. Our guest this week is Lisa Matam. Lisa is the CEO of Sahajan, a natural skincare line based on the 5,000-year-old science of Ayurveda. Moments before this interview, Lisa and I discovered that we went to the same grade school in Toronto. Talk about a small world, this surprising common ground laid the foundation for a big conversation about doing your best to do life and business in alignment with your values. In this interview, Lisa shares the ups and downs of her journey from strategic consulting in the pharmaceutical industry to founding her own skincare line that reaches back to her family's roots in southern India. Named by Profit Magazine as one of the top 10 emerging women entrepreneurs in Canada and recognized by the Indo-Canada Chamber of Commerce as Female Entrepreneur of the Year, Lisa has become a thought leader in the areas of entrepreneurship, resilience, the advancements of, of women, and diversity. In this conversation, which I named Finding Equilibrium in Life and Business, we talk about equilibrium between culture and tradition, science and wellness trends, values and ethics within our business culture, using your intuitive gut and logical strategy, and when it's time to put purpose over profit in business. So hold on, and uh, and I know you're going to get a lot of value out of this wonderful conversation with Lisa Matam. So our guest on Free Your Inner Guru this week is Lisa Matan of Sahajan. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Laura. Such a pleasure. When we met, there was just a laundry list of reasons why I wanted to have you on here. And one of them is your your business journey, but also because Sahajan is uh based on Ayurvedic principles. Mm-hmm. I don't know very much about Ayurveda, but I'm very curious. And I would assume that members in the audience are also either knowledgeable or into it because of the sort of holistic nature mm-hmm. of it. So, so let's, let's start with your journey towards having this business because didn't you grow up around Ayurvedic principles? Absolutely. And uh, I feel like I need to tell your listeners that right before we pressed record, we realized that I went to elementary school with Laura and, or with like at different times and then with her brother. And so the funny thing is, is if he does remember me, he'll probably also remember me as the only Indian kid in his class, (laughs) but um, which might be a a memory because that's one of the reasons why I have so many distinct memories of elementary school. But, um, but so, I'll, yeah, I'll take you through a little bit of basically how I stumbled upon this. I did grow up, I'm the, I'm the child of parents from India, you know, born and raised in Canada. So, you know, first and foremost, I always see myself as a Canadian, but, you know, in my life, being having parents from India, that was such a part of who I was and how I was raised. And 
what we ate and what we did and how we managed everything. And then, you know, also being a child of Indian parents, my parents wanted me to be a doctor. And so I, you know, progressed through school, studied science, but ended up doing, you know, an MBA, worked in the pharmaceutical industry for a number of years, um, quite deeply, and then, you know, left, but still continue to consult to the industry. I helped launch a bunch of brands, you know, a number of things. And then I was pregnant with my second child. And, you know, at the time, you know, and I, I think probably as most of us are, you know, I was already probably on a, a very long wellness journey, a one that I'm still on, but I was pregnant at the time with my second child. I came home and my daughter had been home, you know, and had gotten into my skincare while I wasn't there. And so she was standing there at the top of the stairs, fully, fully covered in all sorts of creams and lotions and potions. And I remember looking up to her and thinking, she's so incredibly cute, but oh my God, you have to take that off your skin. Mm -hmm. And I have no idea what the chemicals and all the stuff that I had buy that I would regularly buy would be doing to her young, beautiful skin. And often when we have kids, or at least for me, when I had her, I was a little bit more meticulous with what I was feeding her, what I was giving her, you know, her exposure to sugar. And even though now it's like a (laughs) a mayhem in my house, um, particularly when she was born, I was, you know, much more particular. And I remember having that feeling of like, you have to take that off. I have no idea what's in it because everything I buy says anti-wrinkle and anti-fatigue or whatever it says on it. And I took her to her room and there were these little bottles just, you know, beside where she was uh, sleeping. And I said, if you ever want to play with anything, this is the stuff you play with. And it was all stuff that my parents had brought from India uh, on their last trip. And it was stuff that, you know, my parents would have used on me, their parents would have used on them. And it was in that moment, I remember standing there just kind of staring and thinking, oh my God, if my skincare isn't good enough for me, then why is it good enough for her? Like why, you know, like why wouldn't I use those same standards for myself? And on top of that, if this is the stuff I really believe in, why was I not using any of it? And it really took me on a little bit of journey, a little bit of a journey, because it's funny, sometimes you walk away from things that are very traditional in your family. And, and then all of a sudden something in life starts to, to kind of pull you back. And, you know, I was raised, my dad more than my mom in some, well, definitely more than my mom was like, he was, you know, a type A dad in very many ways, but he was also extremely spiritual. He practiced yoga. He would meditate. He would, you know, some of these practices, which I used to kind of, I remember having a a sleepover in grade six and saying to him, don't do any of your weird stuff in the morning. Just make pancakes like everybody else's dad. Um, Because he would like write in his journal beside a candle in the morning and he would meditate and do yoga and do all these things. And so it was, it was so much a part of my life, but in that moment, I started to just be pulled back to it. And, you know, when I started doing some digging into these things that my parents had given me, I realized that they were quite steeped in Ayurveda and I was more familiar with them in the context of tradition. And so, you know, my parents being from the South of India, it's a very sort of lush uh, area. It's the epicenter of Ayurvedic study. If you ever wanted to go on an Ayurvedic retreat, that's probably the place to go in India. Um, and if you Google Ayurvedic retreats, like that's the first thing that that pops up. And so my parents really grew up with this in and out of their lives. So I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself, but for your listeners who are like, what is she talking about? Ayurveda is quite simply translated from Sanskrit means the science of life. 
It's a 5,000-year-old science from ancient India. It's a sister practice to yoga. So many, many yogis are very familiar with it. One of the ways I often describe it is yoga's purpose actually is, is, is a very spiritual purpose. And um, so if you've ever tried to do yoga for balance, in some ways, that's Ayurveda. Because Ayurveda is all about how do we get into balance. Um, whether it's your skin or your digestive system or anything is a reflection of whether or not you're able, you're in balance. And when you're not in balance, Ayurveda helps to get you back in balance. So what does, what does balance mean in Ayurveda? Because there, from I, the irony of this, I just closed out a, a, a conversation with one of my coaching clients mm-hmm. and we had a small, um, you know, I use the word balance reluctantly because mm-hmm. balance can be an unattainable, you know, goal or set of goals um, mm-hmm. in a more, in a, in a very Western work oriented, keep all oh. the spinning kind yes. of way. So, so what does balance mean in the world of Ayurveda? I am um, the best way I can describe it because I often, when people ask me about, you know, how do you balance work and children and all that stuff? I sometimes shun that word for the same reason, because I feel like it's this image of someone teeter tottering, you know, just trying to make it all work. Balance in Ayurveda is more about being in equilibrium is the best way I can describe it. So it's more it's, when you go see an Ayurvedic doctor, they don't, they look at who you are. They look at obviously your stress level and what you're eating, but they also look at your body type and they believe, uh, the belief is that there is like three doshas or three energy elements uh, contained within you and you need to be able to balance those out. And so some moments, so for example, there's one dosha, which is called pitta. It's a fire dosha. It's like, I'm pit at the core. You can tell by my hands and my actions and my interests. But sometimes everybody needs pit energy. Like even someone who's not pitta, who is about to launch a business is going to need that energy. But then once you pull at that energy, you need something to pull it back almost. And so it's about recognizing who you are. It's actually very, it's very much, it. the best way to describe it is it's about being intuitive. And when you, when you need help, you go see an, an Ayurvedic doctor to help you with that. Because it's about saying, it's hot outside. Am I going to have soup or am I going to have watermelon? Because watermelon is going to cool me down and that's going to help me stay a little bit more in equilibrium. And it's knowing yourself well enough to also understand those differences. So I feel like I've just made it more complicated than it is, but the, the most beautiful part of Ayurveda for me is, and someone coming from the pharmaceutical industry, and I actually believe wholeheartedly in medicine and pharmaceuticals and all those things. But what I think those elements sometimes neglect is like the proactive, the prophylactic, how do you manage your own healthcare? How do you become, versus saying like, now I'm sick, what do I do? Saying like, how do I live a a life that's well? And how do I contribute to a life that's well? And by understanding who you are and how to eat and how to do a number of things that Ayurveda, and Ayurveda would have like, you have a stomach ache, here's a tea that you should drink, or here's herbs that you should take. You know, there's the ancient Veda is really... Uh, prescribe that. But at its very core, even if you didn't want to learn all of those things, it's about understanding you and what you need to be healthy. So does that mean that you said that a person might, like you, might have a lot of pitta energy? Mm-hmm. That implies that there's other people who do not, like that is their primary. Is that Absolutely. I, sometimes I like to think of it, I've, I've done a lot of certifications in like Myers-Briggs or, or things like that. And so it's kind of the same. It's like we're all made up of these different energies just in different proportions. So I may swing over the top on Pitta, which is fire. 
which you can see in my, you know, in my skin and my behavior, people with a fire energy, a lot of their ailments tend to present themselves in the stomach, like poor digestion, all of that kind of stuff, because everything's sort of fiery. And so, and, and there's sort of pit it in its good place, but then there's like, when you've gone too far over the edge, and if you've ever done, and I know you do a lot of leadership development type of work, or, you know, you work a lot with, it's the same thing. It's like, we can all swish, you know, or sort of, uh, move fluidly between different types or different energies, but ultimately, um, you know, you need to be what's in balance for you. So what's in balance for me and what's in balance for you would be totally different. So now take us through the, the how you decided to integrate Ayurveda into a business for yourself because you did yeah. say you were in, the, in the pharmaceutical industry. So absolutely an assumption there that you were an employee of a company, not an entrepreneur at that point. Yeah. So I was, I was actually self-employed, but I was a consultant. So Uh, I definitely felt, you know, the, I was self-employed, but this was very different because I wasn't creating a product um, or the products that I was creating were strategies and stuff like that. Um, So this was, this is very different. And it, you know, in hearing even me talk about Ayurveda, what I wanted to make sure was that this was very simplistic, actually, that people didn't feel like they needed to learn this huge body of knowledge in order to to take part. And and so really what I what I truthfully set out to do was that it was in that moment that I was like, oh, I want cleaner, better, more natural skincare. I want to see some of these ingredients that I grew up with that I trust. And I started looking around and this was five years ago now. And um, I couldn't find anything like that. I really couldn't. And this was like at the early stages of the clean beauty wave. So I remember going into Sephora and asking one of the associates there, like, you know, can you point me towards a clean brand? And so she did. And I said, well, what makes this clean? And she, her shoes, she said something like natural. You know, I said, what makes it natural? And she said, well, it has a tree on it. And I was like, okay, then, you know, <laughs> and so, and so my sort of nerdiness from pharma came in. And so then I, I said, okay, here's, here's what I want to do. I can't find what I'm looking for. I'm going to create it and I'm going to create it because I believe in it. And, um, and so what we did was I worked with two Ayurvedic doctors in India on the formulations. I hired a pharmaceutical chemist here. So someone who I basically like started asking everybody I knew, like, how could I find a chemist? And so I stumbled upon this lovely, lovely chemist who um, really understood, obviously, the chemistry of formulation, but really understood the vision of what I was trying to achieve and uh, and was really open to, like, we would have these phone calls with these people in India. It was crazy. And, um, and based on their recommendations, so for example, with our serum, I would say, okay, I know I want a product that's going to help really bring the glow back to the skin. I want to, um, you know, a product that's going to help to minimize fine, fine lines. It's going to protect the skin. And then they would give us, okay, you need to put this ingredient in at this level and this ingredient in at this level, much like they would traditionally blend something in India. And then we basically built the structure around it. And what's interesting is, is modern Ayurvedic products in India have become very, very popular. And they said it's headed in the same direction. Like, you know, people still go see their Ayurvedic doctors, but you can't, you know, no one... You can't always get like the fresh, I just made this for you and keep this in the fridge and use it for, for seven days. So that was really the basis from where we started. We formulated and formulated and to come up with uh, the blends that would work. I had 25 women who I know test, the, you know, once we got to a place in the lab where we were happy with where we were headed, 
I had them test and give feedback, give feedback on the concept because I, I also, you know, sometimes things sound really amazing in your head and then you think, am I the only one who thinks that this is really amazing? <laughs> um, and so they gave me tons of feedback. And then after that, we just went and it was, it's been an incredible experience. And so you launched five years ago? So we launched you know, just over three years ago. So the process of the process was longer than I think a number of startup brands, and that was a learning for me because I we started really at the lab scale. And what um, I appreciate now is that many beauty brands go partner with like a lab that's already making skincare and all of those things. So even just the timing of having to get in all the ingredients. We were, I wasn't working with a cosmetic lab where they already had that stuff. And because mm-hmm. I was working with very unique ingredients also, sourcing them became you know, incredibly challenging at the beginning. So I would say likely the first almost full year was getting the formulations right. And then the second year was about finding a partner where we could scale up our production, you know, doing all the everything from bottles to packaging to figuring out what this all was going to mean. And, uh, and then we launched from there. What has been the most surprising challenge that you faced, say, in the three years that you've launched? Oh, that's a good one. You know, there's, there have been a number of challenges. It's funny because sometimes I meet people and they're like, oh my gosh, you have this great business. And I do. I'm very proud of what, what I've been able to create. But sometimes it's easy to sit in the, oh, if you only knew what it was like. <laughs> um, so there have been many challenges along the way. I think there's, there's two things that have surprised me the most. One is sometimes, and when you're a small business, this happens more than I think when you're a bigger business. Sometimes things are just out of your control. And it's so hard. I was a person, so I said I was Pitta, so this fiery energy. You know, when I was in pharmaceuticals, I was the youngest brand manager in J&J's biotech company. Like I was a corporate gal and, um, and I got things done and I did things and to not have, you know, but there would be times where, again, things would be completely out of my control. And obviously how I react to them is within my control, but, but just being okay with that. And so, you know, everything from, uh, it, it could be something as small as, you know, yes, we sent you that package and we, you know, it would be there, but, oh, we, you know, I remember having an, an influencer who was very popular in beauty. I sent her a package and for me, I'm a, you know, a small business, everything counts. Like if I'm not L'Oreal and, you know, giving out samples on the street and it counts to them too, but their budgets to do that are different. And I remember she was like, oh, I lost your package. Can you resend it? And then I sent it to her again. And then she said, oh, like, I don't know where I put that. Can you resend it? And I remember thinking in my head, like, you know, oh, this is, you know, like by the time I give her all these products and send it, it could be, you know, so it's something as small as that is knowing that I have to be okay with, I guess, I think the thing is like her not really caring because she said to me, if you could only see my apartment, it's just full of boxes. Um, Whereas this is my like life's passion that I've just sent you. Um, But also being okay with things like, um, when I say things are out of my control, I've had retailers who've said to me, we're in, we're on, we love it. It's amazing. And then, you know, and then not to hear from them for two months and then to find out that, well, we've actually, you know, we've decided not to move forward with that strategy. And I've written strategy, so I understand that it's not personal. They'll be like, we, you know, there was one retailer who was like, 
we love you. We think you're amazing. I filled out all the forms. We got ready. We got everything ready. And then it was, we don't think we're ready to move forward with our clean strategy. And you just sort of sit back and you're like, oh my gosh. Like there's nothing I could have done in that situation to change it, but it feels much more personal than, um, and it feels much more personally impactful than when you're in the corporate environment and someone says no. I can so identify with that. There was a time where I was consulting in the automotive industry and this was after my corporate journey and, and I was advising um, car dealers with their business and, and, you know, car dealership, this is, feels like as far away from Ayurveda and intuition as you could be. And, and that's, and that's probably true, but, um, but it wasn't until I um, owned and operated a gym with my husband, we, we opened it from scratch and mm-hmm. had our own bricks and mortar wellness business that I could really understand what was feasible and doable and had that level of attachment to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you kind of straddle between don't take, I'm thinking of, um, if you're familiar with the four agreements, one of the four yes. agreements is don't take, take nothing personally or don't take anything I'm... personally. And, oh and that's a, that's a book by, I think it's Don Miguel, Don Miguel Ruiz. Yeah. I'll leave a, I'll leave a, a link in the show notes, but, but when it is yours and it's your creation, it's coming from you. Yeah the personal element is, oh, is never far away. No, it's never. And it's such a good lesson because sometimes I've actually had to say to myself, like, you are not the business <laughs> and the business is the business and you are you. And it sounds so ridiculous that you have to say that to yourself, but you do. It's like, it's like I birthed another child and, and somebody's messing with him or her. And, you know, the biggest challenge, I don't know how I haven't told you this story yet, but the biggest, biggest challenge was we had found a partner who was going to help us scale up production because you need bigger vessels. And having come from the pharmaceutical industry, I was, re- I was particular about, I wanted it to be in a certain kind of facility and a certain grade of facility. And I wanted all, and I really always went at it saying, this is going to be a big brand. And so we're going to do this right. And, uh, but we were working on our hero or like the product that, that gets sold the most is our face cream. It's this beautiful, beautiful cream. It's very different. I think that's why it does well, but it's really rich. And if you've got dry, red, sensitive skin, it's perfect, but I use it every day and I'm dark skin, but it's, it's just this cream that just, I feel like the best way I can describe it is it nourishes your skin to its healthiest center. It's like, it's going to make your skin brighter and all of these wonderful things. But we were, we, the, the, things were a little finicky in, in trying to scale up because sometimes you can make something, you know, at 50 milliliters, but then when you want to make a hundred, mm. uh, you know, kilograms of it, it changes. And so we were working on that and uh, it wasn't right. And so my chemist was working and he said to the lab, you know, can you send us all the documentation? Because there's got to be something that's not happening here. Like maybe it's being heated up too soon. Maybe, you know, like there's, these things are finicky, they're chemicals. And they came back to me and said, um, you don't own this product anymore. We do. What? Oh, yeah. Laura, like I kid you not, I remember the day so well. My husband came home. I'd bought a big bag of mini eggs. And I was sitting on the couch like with tears in my eyes, like just being like, I, I don't know what to do now. But it was this wild, crazy thing where we got into this conversation about who owns this product. And it was clear by, you know, I went to my, uh, to a friend who's a lawyer who was helping me with some of the stuff. And, you know, she said, it's really clear by the agreement that you own it. 
but life and clarity are different things because she said, if you want to, you know, if you were to take them to court on this, you're going to bankrupt yourself there. You know, this is, and so it was one of those things where I have to sort of let go with my, let go of my very rigid sort of, how could you even say this to me? It's very clear. Look at the papers, you know, and say, okay, how do I work with them in a way that I get what I need and they get what they need because they were all, they were obviously wanting something. And, and so, um, it took a while, but we got to a place and I own the formulation and that's great, but I couldn't even believe that they would try that. But so many people have done all sorts of wonky things because, and this is what I've learned when I was in pharma, I worked for these big organizations. And so when we would have a vendor, if I asked for something or said something, people cared. Um, now the challenge is, is sometimes my suppliers feel like they have, or have more leverage than I do in a lot of ways because I'm going to them they're supplying to these larger, larger companies. And it's kind of like, oh, Sahajan, whatever. (laughs) So, So, I mean, so that you got that resolved and what was the, what did you, what did you learn from that? Like that's a, on the scale of challenges, that's a, that sounds like a huge one. It was a huge one. It really, you know, it was, it was the start it really shocked me because there was to me and it's part of, I think my personality, but it called into question so many things like not just that this was happening, but like, you know, integrity. And, you know, I looked at the people I was working with and, and, you know, could look at them in the eye and say, you and I both know I own this. And so it was a really complicated conversation. I think I learned two things or many things from that, but one I learned which was that I can't be afraid to one, the moment I feel defeated, I kind of am. So I had to have my day of my mini eggs and then say, you know, this, this adventure is just beginning and I'm going to launch these products. So I, I think that, and I would say this to anybody starting a business is you are on your own often when you're an entrepreneur, particularly if you're not a, a, you know, funded by institutional money or something like that but you really need to shore up a team around you to support you because sometimes the leverage that you need might not come from you. Mm. And so for me, and I've been in this situation, I can think of three specific times where I had a supplier or a partner who really mistreated me and I would go in and I would, you know, advocate for myself and there was nothing wrong with what I was doing, but it, it needed someone else. And sometimes I think it just needs someone else so that there could be somebody else to be the bad guy. Sometimes it needs someone else because I hate to say it, but sometimes they take other people more seriously. Um, you know, I had a situation where, uh, where I thought, okay, I've been through this before. Now, when I go interview labs, I had an advisor, this lovely, lovely man who used to run Yves Saint Laurent. And he was, and I said to him, can you come to these initial meetings with me? Because one, I think it gave further confidence that this was a brand with capability because look, sitting beside her is this very tenured beauty exec. But I think on top of it, I hate to say it, but I think there's a level of accountability that was felt beyond just me. Mm. And so I, I always, you know, will say to people, if they say like, what's the one practical advice is like shore up a team and they might be advisors, they might be friends, whatever, of people who can support you because that, that is incredibly important. And then I think the last thing I learned through that was just really 
it, I think the, you know, the shock to me was, was understanding that not everybody's operating from the same space that I am. I would never do that to somebody. And I think I really struggled with that. Like, how could somebody do that? How could, like, I spent a lot of time asking that question and my husband, who's much more practical would be like, cause that's how they operate in business. Move on. Like, that's how, that's how that person is. And I, I struggled cause that's, you know, ethics to me are, are really important. It, it calls into, it really calls in a great element to the conversation and that's, and that's uh, doing business based on values. Yes. And then the heartbreak of, of realizing that not everybody shares the same values as you. Yes. 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 Very much so. And it's hard because you can't always suss out a person's values at the beginning and you want to, and I think as the business grows and we have, you know, and we're, we're learning and growing and also having more arms and legs and capability, it'll be easier to make those choices. But those choices weren't all, you know, sometimes when you're, cause the other, I remember trying to find labs that would help us as I, you know, there's these beautiful stories of brands that like started in people's kitchens and I think they're amazing. But like, if you've ever tried my cooking, you would never want like anything from my kitchen and, uh, or certainly not the cleanliness, you know, I'm so meticulous about cleanliness that I was like, it's gotta be in a beautiful lab where people are wearing hair nets and all these things. And, uh, and, uh, but you know, I would meet these, these great manufacturers who would say, you know, we just don't work with people starting out. It's too hard. You know, we have tons of people who knock on our door and say, I found this mud when I was on vacation. Can you turn it into a mud mask? <laughs> and, uh, and so the number of people who would even work with me is very small. And so I didn't have, you know, I didn't have choice in the same way that I probably would now. I think that's an important it, stage to, to acknowledge because mm-hmm. I think the, the, the wisdom that's there is, is that you had a dream and a vision. You set a, it sounds like you set a really high bar from, from the outset, but then as you have grown, you're seeing that you'll be able to use your power of discernment when you, you choose partners and, Mm -hmm. and people as -hmm. you expand. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you have strategies or did you have to develop strategies or a sensibility around you of when you knew you were dealing with, with people who, or businesses that weren't necessarily playing on the same, you know, rule sheet as you, um, it's an, like there's awareness, an opportunity for awareness here. Oh, there's an incredible opportunity for where, and there's an incredible opportunity, you know, for, for skill refinement, because it's, there's, yes, you're learning, but you're also, you know, at the end of the day, I am the founder and CEO of this company. And it's amazing, right? Cause I'm also the, sometimes the janitor and the, <laughs> the rapper and all sorts of stuff. And, and, but you, you start to sit back and say, okay. And I know I would do this sometimes. And I would say, okay, now I'm looking for partners on X. Like what questions do I want to ask? What kind of references do I want to ask for? Um, what am I going to ask those people when I do talk to those references? Uh, what is my alternative? I always remember um, when I was doing some work, I think it was for Bayer. I was doing some work for somewhere and, um, and uh, the, the team got a book, like it was, it was a negotiation book. And I don't know if you've ever read it, but there's this whole thing in negotiation. It's called BATNA. It's like best alternative to a ne- negotiated agreement. And I never understood really contextually 
I never paid attention to what it really meant. And now I do all the time because I think, okay, I'm going to do my due diligence on this, whatever it is. And if it doesn't work, what is my alternative? And how far am I willing to go down this path before it's just not worth it anymore? So I think there's an opportunity to, to really create boundaries, but to understand like, what is it that I'm willing to do and what will I know? What will I not? So, you know, it's worth it to me. Is it worth it to me to engage in this relationship, even though it might cost me a little bit more? Is it worth it for me, even though this seems like a good opportunity, but the people don't for me to step away? It's it's understanding those things. And it takes, you know, there's some of it's playing with the gut and some of it's, you know, intuition. And some of it is is actually sitting down. I have now been more meticulous when I've worked with a partner to do a lot more work around that relationship, like understanding and asking for references and talking to people. Because now if somebody were to call me and this has happened, you know, in particularly in Toronto and say, you know, what labs would you recommend? You know, I'd say, I can absolutely answer that question now. And, and I'd, and I'd happily do it, but I didn't even have the network in the beauty industry to ask the question. You mentioned using, you know, you said, I think word for word, sometimes it's about the gut. Sometimes it's about, you know, a more formalized process. How do how does the how do you, your gut instinct occur to you? What does it feel like? How does it manifest? Oh gosh, um, I think for me it's very physical. Like I think I physically feel it in in my body. It's um, you know I often ask myself, and I'm you know in the course this this business has definitely. I describe it sometimes and I say it's like stretch me to the edges of my skin because I've learned so much. And I think when you take on big challenges, you're just, you grow so rapidly, but it also, there's moments of like, oh my gosh, like it could be anything, right? I remember the first time we sent a shipment across to the US being like, oh my God, um, you know, I just did this. And, uh, but so I think for me, it's very physical. And I think actually I need to recognize that. Like, you know, whether it's uh, a feeling of nervousness, I think my body tells me when, you know, you're concerned about this or you're, you know, every time you talk to that person, you leave and you're a little unsettled and I have to ask myself why. Um, and so I, I think it, it very much manifests itself physically. I think, um, I think that's, that's how I feel it. And I think, I've, I've tried to learn. It's funny. I, I have started listening to more and more podcasts and, and different things. And it it's in the tougher time that I actually find myself craving those things more, like listening to more podcasts, reading more, because in some ways I should probably be busier with work in those times. But it's also in those times where I need to kind of almost step out of the practical day to day and say, okay, take a deep breath you know, what do I need? What are the big decisions I need to make and how do I move this forward? And I think, I think the physical sensation of that, and I think even sometimes working it out physically becomes really important. Like when uh, there was one time, so there's two times that stick out of my head. One was the one I told you about the suppliers that they own the face cream. And the other was like another challenge. And I won't get into the detail because it's a long one. But I remember that was the first time that I was like, I want to start listening to podcasts because I knew I needed to like exercise out my thoughts and I would go for these long walks at night and just like listen and reflect. And in doing that, it's amazing how much you can work out. And then all of a sudden the answers come. It almost sounds like podcasts as a mindfulness practice. Yeah. Well, I think for me, like I'm also extroverted. And so 
uh, it's funny. Like I, I remember someone describing extroversion once on TV and, and it's like, yeah, that person still goes for a walk, but they still need like energy coming at them where they, and that's what it feels like for me. Like it's that feeling of like, oh, wow, I get to walk and I get to learn and I get to think. When you, well, I begs the answer, what podcasts do you listen to? Oh my gosh, I've listened to like bits and pieces of so many. I mean, it's funny, I'm not, um, and hopefully no one uh, dislikes me because of this, I've not always gotten into Oprah. Like I don't get the magazine and I never watched her show. However, <laughs> I have listened to many of the Oprah Super Soul conversations. Um, and there was one Ariana Huffington did about um, sleep, but she also just talked about the pace of work and and I just, that one I listened to a few times um, and I've listened to many of those. I also just listen to things, not work or spiritual. I've listened to a lot of Ayurveda podcasts um, to even just deepen my learning. I'm very, you know, I'm not an Ayurvedic practitioner and it's it's a, a lifestyle cho- choice. So I've, I've done a lot of um, listening on Ayurveda. I've also just listened sometimes just to things that entertain me. I feel like... Um, I was listening to the CBC radio one day when I was driving to Waterloo and they were doing this uh, radio show, but they're only giving you like a minute of different podcasts. And it like, I had to actually pull over and write down all the minutes that I liked. So I've listened to new, I listen to everything, news podcasts, a lot of newsy things actually. It's amazing how, um, and I was having a similar conversation last night over dinner with a friend who had, a list of podcasts I'm a mile long. And so mm-hmm. I was taking down the ones that sounded um, like it was something that uh, would interest me. And I said to her, like, this is how it spreads, right? This mm-hmm. is how, if people are out and uh, one of the listeners who enjoys this show is out and start talking to people about podcasts they listen to, it's like this word of mouth. And yes, there's marketing and, and so forth, but, but the, the passion around podcasts is very, very high. It's and very personal too. It's so, so personal and meeting different needs from information to entertainment, to spirituality, oh. to education. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I'm loving about it is that it's, you know, like never before we can choose our inputs. Yes. Yes. And, and, and that's important. That's important for being able to keep that mind body intuitive connection to not be at the mercy of what gets served up to you every day and I think that's why I love it too is it's not it's and I admittedly watch YouTube sometimes sometimes when I'm if I'm on my own in the office and (laughs) it's lunchtime and I don't want to just like keep eating through lunch I'll actually like watch anything on YouTube but um but with podcasts, to your point, it's like I'm making a choice of what I want to listen to. And I very often, like you, um, I was part of the Sephora incubator program. And a number of us are on a WhatsApp chat. And I remember one day, everyone was like, what do you listen to? What do you listen to? And it was everything from like how I built this, which is so awesome if you're an entrepreneur, because you hear all these other entrepreneur stories of how they built their companies. But to like, oh, I listen to this one because it just makes me laugh. And sometimes I need a break or I listen, you know, and it's, it is, it's, that is how podcasts grow is because they, they, they cement themselves in an area. And because we're constantly in cars and walking and planes, like it's, it's a, it's a different way to, to educate yourself, to take a step away for yourself, to entertain yourself. And it's, it's, there's something about the auditory and the storytelling piece that is, mm-hmm. that is intimate and, yeah. and 
transmits very well amongst all of us human beings out there. I, uh, I'm going to be rewriting some of the copy around the podcast and, and, and it's, yes, it's still about, it's always about connecting with your inner wisdom, but, but it's, it, it's like almost how, how to be like staying curious. Yes. Yeah. And it's amazing. You know, I listened to a podcast, it's called Fat Fat Mascara, and it's a beauty podcast. And sometimes they have different founders on and I, I but it was, I remember listening to one and it was the, the two people who hosted, they were just riffing. And I thought, isn't it funny? And maybe because it sounds like radio, but I was like, I'm just interested in what they're talking about. Like they were talking about their train ride, like they were in New York and whatever. And it was like, in some ways I kind of laughed to myself that listening to them talk about my day to talk about their day was enjoyable and something I wanted to hear, but it is because you're inviting these people into your framework and it's, it's fun. You, um, there's something you said there that I want to circle back around to. And, and it was, it was just a casual reference at the time, but you, you mentioned um, Ayurveda as a lifestyle choice. Yes. What did you mean by that? Cause like, it's, I've got your website up on my screen just yeah. underneath us. And, and so I'm like, okay, so now I really want to try the mm-hmm. ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> that does not make me like Ayurvedic in my lifestyle choices. Like, so what is an, I, what, what is an Ayurvedic lifestyle? What are the choices? Yeah. And you know what, I, this is where I think Ayurveda gets a little wishy-washy, but anything like you, like, I, I guess what I probably should have clearly said is there's some people who you know, there's actually this great book and it's called, I think it's called like the idiot's guide to Ayurveda or Ayurveda for dummies. I think it's the idiot's guide to Ayurveda, but it's awesome because it really just like breaks down. Here's, here's Ayurveda's approach to this. Here's Ayurveda's approach to sleep. Here's Ayurveda's approach to whatever. And I, but what I would say about it being a lifestyle is I, you know, there's some people actually go and study it so intimately. And those are people who we tap into, whether it's for knowledge, for the ingredients and the formulations because there's a separate body of text just around beauty and life and all of those things. Um, but there's people who have done all the research for life and life management. For me, it's like how I take it is the, almost the way my family absorbs it, which is what can I learn from this traditional medicine that helps me? So sleep is a big one. I've always been someone who's not been a great sleeper. I've always been someone who sacrifices sleep for anything. Like I was the kind of person in university or even post-school who would just like, stay up till midnight if there was a friend over and get up at six and, you know, but as I get older, I can't continue to do that and post kids. And I, I see the difference. And in Ayurveda, there's a very strong belief in sort of daily routine and that these different energies that we have, so much like we have these energies that I talked to you about, that those also exist during the day. So that you're actually in Ayurveda, you're, the belief is you're meant to go to sleep at around 10 PM and you're meant to get mm-hmm. up at 6am. And interestingly, all the recent sleep research validates this, that even if you're getting, if you get eight hours between 10pm and 6am, that that quality of sleep is actually better than if you go to sleep at midnight and you wake up at eight. Now that being said, some of us work shift work. Sometimes I can't do that. I'm still like the crazy, like I would love to stay. I'm such a late night owl by nature of like, my house is finally asleep. I can watch TV. I can do this. I can do that. I can catch up with my husband. But in Ayurveda, the belief is like you go to bed at 10 and you wake up, you're waking, you're going to sleep when you're, when certain energy is happening and that's going to give you your best quality sleep and 
and then you wake up at six and you know, the way that you design your day. So you wake up your day and you wake up slowly because at 6am time you're waking up during your kapha energy, which is like sort of the slow moving energy you wake up. And this is something my dad always used to make us do. He always used to say like, pray in your beds before you wake up in the morning, mm-hmm. you know, and set your intention for the day before you wake up, before you get out of bed. And so Ayurveda says the same thing. Like you get up, you you pray, you set your intention, you do some physical stuff, you drink water with lemon. Like some of the practices that you and I probably do just because we read, you know, on shape.com or wherever we heard them, our doctor told us they were healthy are actually prescribed in this like Ayurveda daily routine. Like you should have water with lemon at the beginning of your day and it should be warm, uh, you know, room temperature. And, and so like, that's a part of Ayurveda where it really makes sense to me. Obviously I can't live this every day, but I'm like that being like my body responds better when it's on a routine. I respond better when I'm on a routine. I sleep better. Um, and obviously if we're on vacation or if things are changing, you know, I, I roll with it, but it's, it's understanding the parts of, of Ayurveda that just kind of say here, based on our old knowledge, here's what we think, you know, would help you be well. And I think anybody, I think what's actually most amazing to me is that people dip their toes into it every day. And so I don't think you need to be like, you know, sometimes, you know, because I remember being in India with my parents growing up or whatever it was, like, you don't have to be like this guru who's like in, you know, white linen cloths and, you know, living this very uh, aesthetic or Vedic lifestyle to live an Ayurvedic way. You just have to say, hey, I see these things and I believe these will contribute to my wellness. And Ayurveda helps just sort of unpack that. It gives us some rules and says, hey, do this. This might, this might help you. Do this. This might help you. And so would it be accurate to say that a lot of these principles that have been around for centuries, if not, you know, millennia through Mm -hmm. Ayurveda, we see them popping up on wellness websites as these isolated things to do? Yes. But then on top of that, um, many of them are proven out now by, I guess what I want to call Western science versus Ayurvedic science. Absolutely. I remember, I think it was two summers ago, Time Magazine put out um, like one of those, you know, when they put out like a special magazine and it was about meditation. And I remember thinking, having like smiling, you have it? It's like got the blue cover with the- That's hilarious because I just took it off my shelf today. That's it. Yes, I have it. And what's amazing about that, like, and I bought it too, but what I loved when I immediately saw the cover is it's like, and I get it. I say the same thing about our skincare. Like when people say, why is the science part of your skincare so important? And I say, because, you know, our, my skincare doesn't involve everything that's Ayurveda, but it just looks at these, you know, energy or life creating plants that Ayurveda talks about. But I came from pharma and I get it. Like we need to see that things are true. So Yes, there's an ingredient in the face cream and the serum that's talked about in these ancient Vedic texts, but in science, it tells us it's the most antioxidant-rich fruit in the world. What you said is exactly right, is that we are dipping our toes into Ayurveda and its rituals, beliefs, practices every day, but we're seeing them sometimes in its isolation. So, you know, I can remember going to San Francisco and this woman said to me, oh, we have to go here. There's, there, it's the best place for turmeric lattes. and what is the turmeric latte? It's like turmeric and milk and sometimes with black pepper. That is like old school Indian. You told your mom you weren't feeling well. That's what she made you. Um, and so 
it, it, it's, it is, it's many of these practices and rituals are being rediscovered and we're seeing them, we're seeing them in isolation. And, and I love it. Like I love having a beautiful journal and I'm not a huge writer, but I love, you know, being able to do that stuff. But I can remember being in grade six and my dad having this weird notebook that he kept, you know, beside everything that he would write in. And so it is, and I think it's, I think in the West, we're really in this amazing place where all things wellness is coming together. and the only way to sometimes unpack that is to go back to some of these, to, is to go back to, you know, South Asian culture is one, but not the only one, but is to go back to some of these cultures that have been, you know, working or living this world for so many years. I think that's so hopeful what you just said there about where everything's coming together. And I have noticed a big, a big change in the last 10 years, say, of, you know, the mindfulness practices coming into vogue and, and they might be distilled down mm-hmm. in a couple of podcast interviews recently. And that's been a bit of the topic, but it's also making minds and lives more open to absorbing some of the more esoteric stuff too, because we see that, oh, you know, the, the, the lemon water, Mm -hmm. works and makes me feel better. And then you find out, oh, that's Ayurvedic and get curious Mm -hmm. about, well, what else is in Ayurveda that might be helpful? Mm -hmm. Whatever the body of knowledge, I think it's arrogant to assume that there's only one way to know how to live. Yes. One culture has it all. Yeah. And, And I think even as someone whose parents are from India, I don't believe that it has it all. I think we're, I think what also makes the world incredible right now is that we're able to learn from all these other cultures. And I can see it in, you know, what we're learning from traditional Chinese medicine and what we're learning from, you know, Aboriginal communities, because there's so much steeped in these ancient cultures um, that, that we can really benefit from. And, you know, and, and, you know, not being like, I'm from pharmacists, this is why we need modern medicine, but everything has its place and we need to understand that. And, you know, I, I see even when you go into a hospital now, you have physicians who are asking like, have you ever tried yoga? What do you do for your stress? What do you do, you know, to, for mindfulness? Like we're now realizing that our, the way we carry ourselves and the way we live and our personal, whether it's mindset, state of mind, but also personal wellness plays into everything. And that's what we have control over. So tell us a little bit about your plans for Sahajan. What do you see in, in the future for it and, and, and how are you leading it there? I, you know, I, I see such great things. Um, I obviously really want to see the brand expand. And, you know, when we first started and I said the word Ayurveda, I remember we launched at the Toronto International Film Festival. I was in the gifting lounge. And so I was meeting all these celebrities. And it was such a good validation point for me because so many of them were like, Ayurveda, I know that. But in like, then I would, you know, do pop-ups and, and I still do like, you know, I still go to shows where people say, I have no idea what you're talking about. And the good news is, is that I say, don't worry, you don't have to. But if you're drinking a turmeric latte and if you're having water with lemon, that same science is what's going into the skincare. Um, And so what, you know, what I vision is being able to share that with as many people as possible. You know, my goal, I always went into this saying, I think, you know, we have the capability or Sahajan has the capability to really become a a global player in in beauty. And I think this is an incredible time 
for independent small beauty brands because customers are starting to place so much value in transparency, in authenticity, in in even some of the values, you know, we, I, I went in this saying, you know, how can I have a clean beauty brand, but not honor the earth? So we've always had, you know, f- post-recycled paper and bio-renewable ink. And, you know, in the early days, nobody cared about that. And I'm not even sure everybody knows that, but it, it, it's being part of that ecosystem. And I think, um, you know, that part of it is only going to become more and more important. And I think, you know, it's important to me that, that we're a values-based business. And I think we'll be able to grow with like-minded consumers who really buy what we're we're doing. One of my other things was I always went into this. I've always been passionate about girls and women and feminism and all of these types of things. And so we launched a lip product in June. So it's like a higher, like a very luxe lip balm. And uh, so luxe in that it's got these beautiful oils in it, but it's petroleum-free and lanolin-free. But what makes me really excited is I'm working with the Because I Am a Girl campaign which if you're, I'm saying you're smiling. So I'm thinking, yeah. you're, you know, we're it's, you know, and, and, uh, with every lip karma purchase, we will donate to send a girl to school for a day in a developing country. And to me, like I, I had one of my advisors and he was like, you don't make enough money to start giving it all away. And I was like, that's okay. You know, we also have a responsibility to do good and we have a responsibility to, to put purpose, you know, over profit sometimes. And, and that makes me happy. And so, you know, I think we can do a lot of good. I really do. I think we can give women cleaner beauty, healthier beauty. I think we can honor their self-care. And I think we can give back. And then to me, if we do those things, like I will be, I will consider myself successful. That's just so beautifully put. I love your clarity around being um, purpose-driven and it is so rare and so needed that we, you, you said purpose over profit. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be all of the time. No. You know, because it's biz, in business, profit is important. Mm-hmm. But having that compass of being that values based, mission driven, or purpose driven company, that, that seems to me to be you know, that's the internal compass. That's the inner guru of Sahaj. Yes. And I think it's, I, you know, and I, I think, you know, to your point, like I, I we joke sometimes at the office because I was saying to one of the girls, it's like, we're running a not-for-profit over here. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's getting, it's how to, you know, but it isn't. But it, but I think, you know, I don't know, maybe it's, you know, some people might call it naivety, but I think if we, start with purpose first, we'll do well. And it's about cleaner, better beauty. It's about bringing much like somebody is starting a cafe and putting a turmeric latte in it. I can, you know, I want to be able to bring that same thing through beauty. And I think we can. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah, it's, I'm so glad to talk to you about it because you know, it's funny. I think about these things in my head a lot, but I rarely get to say them out loud. (laughs) And it, uh, it shows me that it matters. It does matter. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm so pleased, like that to me, that's music to my ears because mm-hmm. the opportunity um, of our conversation has created that opportunity for you. And, mm-hmm. and I want to thank you very much for sharing your stories, your challenges, your heart, your soul, and now your, your 
purpose for this beautiful, beautiful brand. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to Free Your Inner Guru. I know you have a lot of choice where you receive your inspiration and information. If today's episode resonated with you, I'd be grateful if you would take a few extra seconds for three quick things. First, if there's an idea or story that you know would make a difference in someone else's life, follow the link in the show notes back to our website where you can easily share it with them. Second, subscribe so that you can be part of the ongoing conversation on whatever app or website you're listening on. Big conversations become the catalyst for meaningful change. If you happen to be listening on iTunes, please take a few moments to leave a rating and a review. The last thing I'll leave you with is that we are building a community of conscious leaders to engage in big conversations and support the Free Your Inner Guru podcast. To find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash freeyourinnerguru or support.freeyourinnerguru.com. Until next time, I'm Laura Tucker signing off for free your inner guru.